0: We hope that you will subscribe and will share our program with others. Now we take you to the service of the Ninth Avenue. Let's
1: open our Bibles to the Book of Hebrews, chapter eleven. Hebrews chapter eleven, and we will uh, get to that. Let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll jump into our time together. God, we're grateful for the opportunity to be in this room with one another today, and and we're blessed to be here. We thank you for the love that is in this room. We thank you for the love that is shown from each other, but we thank you most of all for the source of that love, which is Jesus, uh, the fact that he came and lived for us and died for us and was risen uh, from the grave for us, God. We are grateful for all of that, and we pray that in every uh, opportunity we have that we share that love uh, with other people that come from him, that comes from him and through us. We pray now that you will open up our hearts to your spirit as we uh, open up your Word this morning. May we be encouraged by it. May we be challenged by it. May we be convicted by it, God, in powerful ways. It's in your Son's name. We pray. Amen. So we've been in this 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 study of Hebrews chapter 11. Even though we we've taken a week or two and kind of stepped aside from it, we come back into it today. Hebrews chapter 11. We talk about extraordinary faith, stepping up to. The challenge, And this has kind of been one of our, our key phrases through this lesson series. Ordinary people become extraordinary when they rise up and meet the challenge before them. We've talked about a lot of people through Scripture up to this point. And one of the things that I think is so important for us to remember, so important for us to, to put in to words and make sure that we understand, and make sure that we understand is that the people that we read about, even though because of what we know about them, because of what we know about them and read about them in Scripture, when they started out their walk with God, they were just ordinary people. They were just ordinary people. There was nothing extraordinary about them when they first, really, when they first came into that relationship with God. Let me ask you, just show of hands, how many of you just feel like you're ordinary? You just feel ordinary, you don't feel like there's really a whole lot special about you that yeah, you've got talents and you've got gifts, but you know at the end of the day, you don't feel like there's anything that's just like the groundbreakingly special about you. I want you to know something. God sees you differently. God sees you differently because God sees you how you see yourself to begin with, but he also sees what you can become if you step out on faith when these moments of challenge take place. And that's exactly what we see through Hebrews chapter 11. We see these ordinary people when faced with that moment, they're faced with a moment of, I can continue to be ordinary, or I can step out on faith, and I can live in God, and I can live in faith, and I can do something that I've never done before. I can respond in a way that I've never responded before, and you can become extraordinary just like them. Everyone in this room has the ability and has the opportunity to be listed in someone's hall of faith. We all have our own personal hall of faith, don't we? We all have our own personal list that when I stop and I think about the people who have impacted my life and have helped me spiritually get to the place where I am right now. We all think of certain people. The Hebrew writer has his list. And that's a list that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I think it's also a list that's inspired by the Hebrew writer's own walk with God. And stories that he turned and he would g- draw great strength from. But we all have those people. We all have those people in our own life that are extraordinary faith giants. I want you to know you have the ability to go from ordinary to extraordinary the choice though is yours the choice is yours and today as we open up back into this text we we go and we look at our extraordinary examples of faith are really the the opposite side of two coins two views I guess you could say, of the same story in Rahab the prostitute and the people of Israel as a whole. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and start in verse 30 and 31, and we read our text for the day that gets us into our story. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the armies had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So we're introduced first to the, uh, a story that we're familiar with, right? And the, and the readers of Hebrews would have been familiar with uh, the story of Jericho. And then we're introduced to Rahab, the what? Prostitute. I, you know, I, I, Rahab did a lot of things in her life. But you know, I think it says a lot that even thousands of years after the fact, as he's writing this book, he still refers to her as a prostitute. And I think that's something we need to stop and think about for a moment, because I think that's the key to maybe our first idea here this morning as we think about becoming extraordinary. And that is this, that God's grace is found through our faith. God's grace is found through our faith. God's grace is always there. God's grace is abundant, God's grace is outpouring, God's grace is always available, but the only way we have access to that, the only way that we grab that grace and claim it in our own life is if we live in faith. If we have a life that says, not only do I believe in God, but I'm going to act as in as if I believe in God. I I truly think that if you say you believe in God but don't act in faith that way, you don't believe. Because... Because James says that faith without what? Works is death. It's worthless. It's pointless. It has no use. It is no faith. You have to do something to prove that you have faith. And in this story of Rahab, Rahab does something to prove that she has faith in God. And because of that action, she then receives the grace of God. As we look at this story here in just a moment, we're going to see that Rahab had an understanding of God. Rahab had a fear of God. Rahab had a belief in God. But that belief did not really turn into a way to grab hold of the grace of God until she acted on it and lived in faith. So let's open back and all the way to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2. As we look at this story in Joshua 2 and Joshua 6, things that we're familiar with, story that we're familiar with, and so we'll we'll read through it and make some observations of it as we go. Then Joshua son of Nun secretly sent two spies. Now, this is a déjà vu moment, right? We've been here before, correct? We've been we've been on the outskirts of the promised land. We've been in a situation where we're getting ready to conquer what God has already said is ours. As the people of Israel, and we sent a group of spies into the promised land. And how did that go? Remember the song we do during VBS? Ten saw bad. Say that with me. Ten saw, two saw good. It's not a good ratio, is it? Come to VBS, we'll learn that song again. Ten saw bad. Two saw good. What happened after that moment? What did they do for the next 40 years because of that moment? They wandered in the desert. And anybody over the age of 20, what happened to them? They died. I want you to think about this for a second. That of the entire nation, uh, they say about 600,000 people are are, are on the banks here. 600,000 people. The majority of those people are 60 years and younger, right? The majority of those people are 60 years and younger. And we think about the Israelites that come out of Egypt. We read page to page or just a few pages from this to that. But but the majority of these people, the majority of these people, they didn't experience the plagues of Egypt. They didn't experience the events of Mount Sinai. They didn't see God come down on the cloud. They didn't see the Ten Commandments being given. They, they didn't experience the crossing of the Red Sea. They didn't experience all this stuff. They've been born after the fact. And so now they're here. Now they did just cross the Jordan River. They had their own Red Sea moment, if you will, in the crossing of the Jordan River. But now they're on the other side. And and they're just, I mean, they're they're wanderers. They're nomads. They've just kind of been wandering around their whole life. And now, they have their moment. Okay? My family, the the people that came before me, they they messed this up. And And I wonder, and it may have been a God thing as well, but instead of sending 12 people in, Joshua may have learned, and he goes, I just need two, because two saw good. I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But he picks the right two, apparently, and he sends them in to scout ahead and look over the land, and he said, especially what? Jericho. How many of you were here back, um, I I guess it was back at the end of last school year when when, um, we had the class through the book of Joshua on Wednesday nights, and um, a great kind of conversation was had about the city of Jericho, very quickly, Jericho was at this time already an ancient city. And it was, it was a pagan kind of hub of worship. It was, um, a, a, a renowned city. It had a wall, around a wall, if you will. It had the main wall, and then it kind of had these sloped hills, and at the bottom of the hill was another kind of retaining wall. So you look at it, and it's just it's massive, that you look at it as you and I would say, there's no way we're getting in this place. Because if I can somehow get through this first wall, then I've got to climb this hill to get to the second wall, and now I'm just at the base of a second wall. You know, so there's all this stuff going on, but he goes, hey, I'm going to send these guys in, and We're going to check this out. So, what did they do? So, they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Why do you think they went there? Because that's the last place someone would look, right? It's not a conspicuous place. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. He knows something's going on. You can't miss 600,000 people sleeping in your front yard. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them. Under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the forts of the Jordan, forts of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said, Now listen to this. This is this is the part that I love in this story. Because here is a woman who is a prostitute. Here is a woman who many scholars say is running a house full of people like her, possibly. And then other scholars say that because of the type of worship that goes on in uh, the city of Jericho and the gods that they worshipped, that this prostitution was not just a business, but it was a form of worship as well. That they were involved in that worship evil pagan worship practice. I want you to think about that for a second. And I want you just to think about how would we feel if someone like that walked in our room, into our auditorium this morning? What whispers would be going on back and forth amongst each other? How would we react in that moment? And and it's it's kind of a question that we have to ask ourselves of who is worthy of the gospel? Who is worthy of the gospel? Who can come to Jesus and have their life restarted and put in a positive direction and live in a positive way? Because if there was ever a person you looked at and go, hey, this person's made their decision. They're living the life that they want to live. If they wanted to live right, they could, but they're choosing not to. It would have been Rahab. Rahab would have been the person we looked at and go, they'll never come to church. They'll never come to church. My wife loves it when someone says that because now she has a challenge. If you look at someone and tell Blair, well, they'll never come to church. You know what she says? You want to bet? And then her mission becomes what? I'm going to find that person, love that person, and do everything I can to what? Bring them to church. Shouldn't that be what we all do, right? Because you never know where someone is. You never know where their heart is, despite the fact that they may be living head deep in the worst imaginable sin that you can think of, just like Rahab. Just because her actions were there and her life was there, God was doing something with her heart. He was preparing her for this moment, and she had to make a decision, and she did. What did she say? I know, I love that word, I know that the Lord has given you this land that a great fear of you has fallen on us and that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. How long ago was that? This was 40-something years ago. And this story still being told. It's still causing people to think and question about how powerful is this God of the Israelites. The Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, and you came out of Egypt. And what you did, in Shannon and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Here's a lady who's living the absolute worst life that she can live. But God's gotten her attention. God's gotten her attention. She realizes that God is God. She was just waiting on someone to show her the rest. She didn't know what to do next until these guys walked in her door. How many people do you come into contact with every day? And how many of those people could just be waiting on you to finish the sentence, to fill in the gaps, to quit judging and start loving, to quit judging and start forgiving? This woman was not the woman you invite to church on Sunday morning and then out to eat Sunday afternoon. That was everybody else's perspective. But God was in her heart. And she was waiting on that moment to go from ordinary to extraordinary. And when that moment presented itself, even though she didn't handle it perfectly, right? She lied, right? She lied about it. She just flat lied about what was going on in her house, which is something she's probably very used to doing because what goes on in her house, people don't want anybody else to know what goes on in her house. So I'm sure she had this level of confidentiality that she's just used to keeping, and we're not going to tell anybody, you know, what happens, happens, and if I need to lie about it, I lie about it. But I want you to understand something. God doesn't expect perfection out of us. God's grace makes our mistakes look like part of His plan in our life. So if you're worried about being perfect this morning, if you're worried about doing it all right, don't be, because you're never going to. You're going to make mistakes along the way. You're not going to serve God perfectly the way that we absolutely have to every single time and need to every single time. And that's where grace comes in. Just put forth the effort. Just walk in that light. And God says, when you fall flat on your face, get up and keep going. And I'm not going to hold it over you. You don't have to worry about being called into the principal's office every time you mess up. That's what the whole book of Romans is about. But we have to be people of faith action to receive that grace from God. And in this moment, she goes from belief to faith because she acted. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord. That you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brother and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, We will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived was part of the city wall. So Rahab, Rahab, if you will, has her own Jericho, has her own walls. It's the walls of sin that she's living in. But now she's had that moment to say, "Okay, what do I do now? How do I take this from, I believe, I know that there is a God. How do I turn this into a faith action life? And she does. And then you go to Matthew chapter um, one, who's listed in the genealogy of Jesus, the one and only Rahab. She becomes part of the line of Jesus because of her faith. What a powerful story. What a powerful story. Let's very quickly hit this next idea here of Jericho. Sometimes you have to circle God's promises. Sometimes you have to circle God's promises. Now the gates of Jericho were secured, barred, securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. We're in chapter 6 if you want to turn there. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have you ever had a moment in your life where someone in charge comes up and tells you to do something and you look at them and you go, oh, bad idea. You ever had one of those moments where you know what they're telling you to do is not a good idea? This is not good. You ever had that moment where someone tells you to do something and you go, yeah, that's not going to work. Anybody ever had that moment? You think you're smarter than the person that's telling you what to do? I imagine that there were 600,000 people sitting out there when they told them this plan, how many of them you think went, um, not going to work. I'd have probably been one of those people. I'd have probably been one of those people. We're going to march around this city full of armed people for six days. And when that's over, it's yours. I just didn't see how it would work. He says, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times With the priest blowing the trumpets, when you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, uh, everyone straight in. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it in order the army advanced, march around the city with the armed guards going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets blew the Lord uh, before the Lord, went uh, forward blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the covenant, the Lord's covenant, followed them. The armed guards marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounded. But Joshua had commanded the army do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. I want to stop right there. This group of people spent a week walking around that which God had already promised to give them. And I'm sure there were a lot of mixed emotions. I'm sure there were a lot of feelings of how does this work? How is this going to happen? This is never going to be what it's supposed to be. We're just going to march around here and eventually these people are going to get tired of seeing us and they're going to come out here and they're going to do what we're afraid they're going to do and they're going to conquer us. I'm sure some people felt that way. But you know, I believe that this marching around had a lot to do with perspective. It gave these people time to think. It gave these people time Trust gave these people time to understand. You see, I believe sometimes in our life we have to be reminded that we don't conquer our temptations, our sins, our struggles, our challenges. We do not conquer them by our own strength. We only conquer them through the power of God and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we need time to figure that out, don't we? Sometimes the promise of God's right there. Sometimes the promise, the the answer to our prayer is in sight. It's in reach. I can almost just reach out and touch it. But God makes me circle around it for a little while. Quietly. I love this. Do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word. There are times in our life that God just looks at us and says, be quiet and be still. Be quiet and be still. Unfortunately for a lot of us, quietness and stillness is very uncomfortable, isn't it? Sometimes we get uncomfortable with quietness and stillness. You know when we have these moments, and we do this together from time to time, where I say, hey, we're just gonna have a moment of prayer and you pray just to yourself, and then I'll and then I'll wrap things up. How many of you get uncomfortable in that quietness? Even though you're supposed to be talking to God and focusing on God. I get uncomfortable with it. I'm sitting here going, okay, how long is long enough? How long is long enough? And fortunately, I, sometimes I struggle with even praying myself in that moment because I'm so worried about, are we being quiet too long? Sometimes in our life, God says, I need you to be quiet. I need you to sit down. And I need you to realize it's not by your strength. It's not by your power. It's not by your a gift, your ability. It's by me. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. And it'll happen when I feel you are ready for it to happen. Which kind of leads us to this next idea. Um, The next idea here is that walking around sometimes gives us the proper perspective. Sometimes it gives us the proper perspective. Sometimes we don't get the blessing in our life. We don't get the answered prayer in our life. We don't get the promise in our life because our perspective is not where it needs to be. Maybe we're focused in the wrong direction. We're asking for the right thing, but maybe for the wrong reason. Or maybe we're asking for the right thing, but our direction is moving in the opposite way of that. And God says, hey, I need you to slow down, be quiet, circle around this for a moment, watch me work, and get the proper perspective. And then when I start seeing things the way that God has been seeing things, when I start seeing things the way that God has them worked out, and I get on board with His vision, I get on board with His plan, and not my own personal agenda, not my own personal desires, not my own personal wants, when I get focused on God, then God, go, then God goes, you've got the right perspective. What do you think their perspective was for seven days? Marching around this city. I'm small. I'm small. I'm not a short person. I'm not the tallest person in the room either. But man, there was one Sunday, all all of Jimmy's family was here. All four of them were here. The two boys were here. And I was standing in the middle of them. And I have never felt so short In my life, I was intimidated. I felt like Jonathan does all the time. He just gave me a thumbs up before I said that. So They're walking around this city, and they're just seeing this monstrosity of of a fortress. And their perspective is what? I can't. I can't. But what does God show them after seven days? You can't, but who can? He can. And so when you're praying, when you're focusing and you're trying to figure things out, remember, sometimes you're not getting that. Answer. It's not that God has said no. He's saying, I need you to grow. I need you to circle around for a little while. I need this process to take place the way that it needs to take place so that when it's time, you're ready. And how does the story end? Because of our time, we won't read all of it. But the story ends on the seventh day. They do exactly what they say. Uh, They they shout. They blow the trumpets. The walls come falling down. I would imagine that some of the Israelites kind of scattered a little bit as, as that fell down. And then they rushed up into the city. They conquered the city. But who was saved? Who was saved? Rahab and her family. Can't you just imagine that? Uh, this is my, my vision of that is that this whole city has fallen down and there's this one little piece of the city still standing straight up. Got this red rope hanging out of it. And that's Rahab and her family in the protection of God. This story and in our faith journey, it makes me question, not the story, but it, but it raises a lot of questions in my life. And in my thoughts about God, one of the things that I thought about and I wrote down as I was studying is we can live a life of sin for a long time. But we can change that life in a moment, in an instant. And Rahab does that. And you look throughout the story of the New Testament. It's full of those moments, right? It's full of moments of the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's he's sitting there and he's like, I don't understand. He's got some interest. He's got some, I believe, but I don't know what to do with it. And he he comes upon someone, and they're able to fill in the gaps. And he's lived outside of God his whole life, and then all of a sudden, what does he say? What do I need to do? He goes, let's go get baptized. Let's go do this. This is how you respond. This is your faith moment. This is how you change everything. Acts chapter 2, Peter's up there, and he's giving this great, eloquent sermon and really chastising these people in many ways of look at what you did to the Son of God, living in a life of sin. And now what does this one guy do? He goes, hey, stop, stop, stop. How do we fix it? This moment of faith was upon them. And they said, how do I fix it? How do I change it? And I know we all have those moments. We all have those moments where we say, what do I have to do? What's the next step? For some of you, it's that first faith moment of accepting Jesus, having your sins washed away, letting him be your savior, letting him be the king of your life. That's where you are this morning. It's time for you to make that decision if you haven't. This is your moment. But the struggle is sometimes, sometimes we just, we just booger it all up, don't we? We just mess it up. We're supposed to be walking in the light, but the stuff over here in the darkness looks a lot more fun, so we kind of ease over there. Hey, maybe that, maybe you're in that easing over there spot today, today. Let us help you move back into the direction you need to be in so you can go from ordinary to extraordinary.
0: Thou art giving and forgiving, ever-blessing, ever-blessed. Thank you again for joining us, and please consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or our podcast. We can be found on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast provider. Also, leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. You can also follow us on Facebook. To the joy
1: divine Instagram
0: Mortals join the mighty chorus which and Twitter morning stars begin for the love. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember to love love like Jesus.